want to invite you to take a copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Joshua, to the book of Joshua chapter 24, and find with me verse 14. Verse 15 is one of the most familiar passages in all the uh, Bible. Uh, certainly, years ago, there was a uh, company that put it on plaques and sold them to uh, houses at parties, and it just seemed like every house you went into, Joshua 24, 15, uh, in some form or fashion, was hanging on the wall. And today I want to uh, preach verses 14 through 28. We just want to keep our finger on the text and walk right through uh, the scripture. And I, I really want to encourage you. So like when we're talking with Brian about when I'm gone and he's preaching, uh, when I call back and say, did you have freedom? That's the first question I'll say. Did you have freedom and liberty? He normally responds and say, yes, I did. And then I'll say things like this, not just to Brian, but to anybody who's preaching. Uh, did you keep your finger on the text? And so our guys uh, experience new pastors as they uh, travel and they go uh, different places in college. And so uh, I can remember uh, when they went down to Jackson, Tennessee, and I could say, uh, tell me about Pastor Ben. Ben, keeping his finger on the text, Caleb. And he'd say, he really does that. He walks right down through there and he lets the Bible speak. And then they went through a change of pastors and I said to Levi, Levi, tell me about, and I'm, I'm not going to call the guy's name, but tell me about the, the guy, does he keep his finger on the text? He said, no, he, he doesn't, Dad. He doesn't keep his finger on the text at all. He, he reads the scripture, and then he jumps in the deep end and goes somewhere that's totally not related to the passage oftentimes. Uh, nonetheless, he's not there anymore. And they got a new guy who's coming in today, and he's going to walk those people uh, at Inglewood right down through the text. If you say, preacher, why are you taking a minute of your time to talk about that this morning? Because I really want to help you all read and study God's word and be able to walk through and not just pull verse 15 out of a context, right? And say, okay, God commands us to choose whom we're going to serve. And so I'm going to this day choose to serve the Lord and just leave it at that without having the greater context of that verse and what it is that God is speaking. And when I'm doing that, in no way am I minimizing the power of one verse or one word of Scripture. But we want to be people who understand that story of redemption and how Joshua 24, uh, verses 14 down through 28, points to Jesus, how it's fulfilled in the New Testament. And so today I want us to continue in that thought of generational disciple-making, setting our hope in God. And today I want to be preaching specifically about choose this day whom you will serve. Choose this day whom you will serve. I think decisional Christianity has hindered the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in the past, but that does not mean that I don't believe that there are some elements of Christianity that certainly we need to decide and choose about concerning our relationship with the Lord and how we respond and if we're going to respond in affirmative or not. Choose this day whom you will serve. And so if you're here for the first time today, we started a couple of weeks ago a series about generational disciple making. And we preached from Psalm 78 about setting our hope in God, a vision for generational disciple making. We talked about how we must hear the urgent call from God and understand what's at stake and about how as parents and grandparents, we, we just can't miss this. We have a responsibility, even as older siblings, to younger siblings to make sure the generation that's coming behind us is hearing the word of God and we realize what's at stake. We talked about uh, how we must teach our children uh, to enthusiastically share who God is and what he has done, how we 
how we are just to remind them of all that God is and all that God has done. And then we talked about leading future generations to set their hope in God by avoiding rebellion and unfaithfulness. And then last Sunday, Dr. Mueller came and preached Deuteronomy 6, and he talked about how important it is for us to teach our kids and to root and ground them according to the doctrine, uh, according to discipline, uh, and to do that in a very diligent way, not to take long breaks in that, and not to, um, to take that task of teaching and indoctrinating and disciplining our children, taking that lightly, but to be real formative about that. And so today we want to read this passage together, Joshua 24, beginning in verse 14 down through 28, and then I want us to think about this day, the choice that is before us, and I want us to think about today, what does it mean? What does it mean to choose the Lord? What does it mean when Joshua, according to the Holy Spirit, is saying to the Israelites, choose you this day whom you will serve? What is he talking about? Serve. How will we serve the Lord? And later on, you'll see he uses this phrase, incline your heart to the Lord. How? How do you do that? How do you incline your heart to the Lord? How is it that God calls us to serve him? And so let's begin reading in verse 14. Do do me a favor. You guys know I'm going to preach a little long, probably not as long as last time. Someone say amen. Nobody's got enough courage to say amen. You're thinking it. You might as well say it, right? Uh, Stand to your feet and honor the reading of God's word and uh, read along with us. The people are gathered at Shechem. There had about been a civil war because some of the Israelites had established uh, a monument and some of the other Israelites thought they were establishing an idol. And man, the Israelites about came to a blow. You see that in chapter 22. Chapter 23, Joshua gets them all together and says, what in the world are y'all doing? Right? He said, you, you just got to remember who God is and what God has done. And he begins reminding them of the faithfulness of God. In chapter 24, he's about to share some of the last words that he would share with the nation of Israel before he passes. And we come to verse 14, and he says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. Isn't that one of those tremendous oxymorons? He he says to the people, serve the Lord. And they said, we're going to serve him. And then Joshua says, 
you're not able. You're, you're not able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God and he is a jealous God. And he will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statues and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. You may be seated this morning. What does Joshua mean when he calls the Israelites to sincerely and faithfully serve the Lord? How do you, in verse 23, incline your heart to the Lord? He is asking them to do something that he turns around and confesses you can't do. Serve the Lord, but oh, by the way, you can't serve the Lord. Because this Lord is a holy God and you're not holy. God is a jealous God and so if you begin to have affection toward other idols, you begin to have affection toward other things in your life, you're not going to be able to serve the Lord. Is this Old Testament story, this Old Testament narrative, is this a picture of legalism and us just rolling up our sleeves and doing good? Or is it a picture of God's grace dealing with his people, entering into covenant agreement with them again and reminding them, watch this, that the very way that they live their life is a determination of whether they are living by faith or whether they're living by works. You say, what does this passage have to do with Jesus? This is a tremendous picture and passage of God's grace. Serve the Lord. You can't serve the Lord. Incline your heart to the Lord. I can't do that. Why does the Bible put such a picture before us? It's because the very things that God calls us to do, we can only do faithfully and well as God empowers us to do them. It's the difference of God dwelling in us and through us and working out of us versus us responding to the law of God and saying, oh, I hear the law of God, and so today I feel like I should serve the Lord, and so I'm going to incline my heart to the Lord today. That is why, watch this, that is why in Christianity you have people who are serving the Lord one day and the next day they're not. They're serving the Lord one day and the next day they're not. One year they're worshiping Jesus, the next day they're not. One day or one week or one year, man, they just seem to be like they're super Joe Christian. And then the next year they're not. You hear about their family falling apart and them just making ungodly decisions. What is the difference in those two types of people? And I would tell you the difference. That person who is growing like this, staying connected to the Lord, not by their works, but by the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in them, according to the word of God, that person is not perfect in their practice, but that, perf that person is relying on the work of Jesus to keep them righteous before 
the Lord. It's not our righteousness that ever pleases God. How many of you realize that this morning? If you do, say amen. Man, when Jesus saves us, right, we are clothed in his righteousness. This righteousness of the Lord is just a tremendous, tremendous blessing. And so what does he mean when he says, incline your heart to the Lord? How does he call us to sincerely and faithfully serve the Lord? There are four thoughts that I want you to write down. Number one is this. We turn from sin and obey God. What does Joshua mean when he calls the Israelites to sincerity? How, what does he mean when he calls them to faithfully serve the Lord? He's calling them to turn from sin and obey God. He says, put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. He says that clearly in verse 14. Vance Havner uh, used to say this. He would say someone, or he would say, a man can't go anywhere. A man can't go anywhere straddling a fence. And what he was saying is this: in the realm of Christianity and obeying God, it's going to be very hard for you to follow the Lord if you are straddling a fence. That means if you're wavering between two positions, if one of your hands and one of your feet and legs are in the realm of biblical Christianity and you're thinking to yourself, I, I want to follow God, but yet the other uh, half of you, your other leg, your other arm, your other foot is in the, squarely in the world and you have this battle going on between you and Joshua saw this kind of battle, spiritual battle between idolatry and following a faithful God in the people of Israel. And so before he dies, He's getting them together at Shechem. He's reminding them about the faithfulness of God. And then he's going to challenge them and say, I want you to know there's a propensity in you to wander. There's this propensity in you to leave this God that you love. And so it's really, really important that you realize today that we should always be turning from our sin and obeying God. He says we put away sin and sinful habits in Joshua Israel's history of idolatry that he's referring to is summarized really with three sets of God associated with three waters. And you say, well, wait a minute, you're saying in Joshua, we see three types of idolatry or three forms of God that the people were tempted to worship. Yes. And so just look along with me in the Bible or write these references down. Joshua 24 verses 2, 3, and 4 shows that on the other side of Euphrates were the gods of the Sumerian and the Babylonian cultures. Oftentimes, that's referred to as gods of heritage. He was reminding, Joshua was reminding the Israelites of where they had come from and their heritage. You, you need to remember that your ancestors battled idolatry. That's what he was saying to them. In Joshua 24, verses 5 through 7, shows that on the other side of the Red Sea were the gods of the ancient Egyptians. And he was saying, you remember... How when you were being raised, you were being brought up, how you were surrounded by these gods. So it was the, the gods that you were being taught about and accustomed to as you were, you were uh, uh, just growing and, and maturing through adolescence and into adulthood. And then in Joshua 24, not only verses 7 through 13, but in verse 15, shows that as they crossed the Jordan, there were the god of the Amorites was the, God's, uh, the God of the present culture. And what are you saying, preacher? Here's what I'm saying. The reason that uh, we believe that God uses Joshua to point this out to the Israelites and to remind them 
of this real temptation to wander and to return to idolatry is because there are idols in our past and present and that we will also face in our future if we are not dying daily to idolatry and all sin that so easily besets us. And so, what are you saying? I'm saying this. In your past and in your parents' lives, there were idols that were clear and present. Do any of you remember them? Don't yell them out of that, but think about, think about that with me right now. Do you remember an idol in your mom's life, your dad's life, in your, grandparent, in your grandparents' life? Do you remember any of those idols in their lives? Do you, do you remember that? I can just remember, man, my mom and dad had some real idols that they just loved and that they just held on to, and it was a, it was a big deal uh, in our family to be able to do some of these things. One, one such thing was their Friday night get-together with friends. And I'll never forget the work that my mom and dad would go through. My dad would go get a carton of cigarettes, and he would go get some uh, cases of Michelob long neck bottles. I, I don't know if that's speaking to any of y'all today. I hope it's not, but he, he would go and get those, and he would come, he'd get them put in the refrigerator, and he'd have that case of cigarettes, and then Man, it was the same thing like every Friday night. And my mom or dad would say to my brothers, hey, run down to uh, Harlem, some place in Harlem, and, they, and he would say, go buy uh, Arthur's Fish and Chips and go ahead and get that big deluxe family thing. They'd have us go bring in fish and chips, man. And so it was fish and chips, cigarettes, and Michelob. Now you tell me what that night was like. They never missed it. They never missed it. My dad and the... And their friend, the male friend, who was uh, an immigration officer, he would come in at all times. He'd get his food. He'd grab his beer. They'd go down to the basement. They'd be watching some sort of TV show and just laughing, talking about everything. My mom and the, her friend, they would be cutting each other's hair. And that was just like a smoky parlor. I mean, I can just remember it. And if you say, do you really think, preacher, that get-together and what they did was an idol? It absolutely was an idol because they never wanted to miss it. And if for some reason they couldn't get together, you would have thought they were about to die. I mean, that they were just about to die. What idols do you have in your life? Do you remember idols in your past family's life? Things that they just did, things that they just owned? Some things, I'm sure, uh, about my family that I can't even talk about. So they're are these idols in our past, but there are these idols in our present. There's just things that we struggle with and things that we give ourselves to and things that we think a lot of. And if we're not careful, that's constantly in competition with the Lord who saved us and died for us and who rose again, who dwells in our heart and in our life. John Owen, a Puritan preacher, said this. He said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Did you hear what I said this morning? Owen said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And so what do we do? We put away these idols and so we respond to the Lord uh, in faithfulness and sincerity as we turn from sin and obey God by putting away idols and then we just stop compromising and we make a decisive choice to follow God. Preacher, do you believe we have a choice? When God gives us a choice, we have a choice. And so here, Joshua is declaring and presenting clearly that his decision was to follow uh, Yahweh. It was to follow Jehovah. It was the God of Israel, the one true God. He 
was going to serve. Today, some of you in this place, no doubt, 10.32 on a Sunday morning, you need to make that decision. You need to stop wavering between two positions. You don't need to be holding on to the world and whatever you're, uh, whatever you're worshiping in the world with one hand and then trying to hold on to Jesus and the church with the other hand. You need to say today to the Lord, I'm all in. I, I'm trusting this Lord, this God, this Jesus who died for my sins, who rose from the grave, who leads me into everlasting life, this one who loves me like no other. It is him who I am putting my faith and trust in. It is him who I'm going to live my life for. And by the way, are you listening? If you are, say amen. If you do that, it doesn't mean that he's going to call you to be a pastor. It doesn't mean he's going to call you to teach Sunday school. It doesn't mean that he's going to call you to be a missionary overseas. He may very well do that to everyone in this room. But let me tell you what God is more interested in than your service. He's interested in your heart. He wants you to respond to his love by receiving the love of Christ so that you can be accepted by God the Father through the work of what Jesus has done. And so Joshua can make this statement that he makes in verse 15 when he just simply says, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, he's talking to God's people, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua could make this statement because he had lived a life that continuously chose to serve the Lord under the Lord's good, gracious guidance. You can see that in Joshua's life over and over again. Joshua chose to believe God's promise about the promised land with Caleb, and he chose against the majority. Do you remember when he was sending the spot to land? He and Caleb came back with this big favorable response and said, there's giants in the land. The land is unbelievable. It's flowing with milk and honey. It's a great place, but there's giants in the land. And all the other spies said, we don't need to go. And Joshua and Caleb said, oh no, we need to go. That's God's promised land. He wants us to go there. We, we need to go there. Joshua made this statement over and over again because the Lord led him to choose the Lord to fight against the Amalekites. Joshua chose to reject the golden calf when many of the other Israelites were offering up gold for the golden calf to be made. Joshua chose to serve the Lord by serving Moses. And he did that well, and he did it in humility. Joshua chose to recognize the leadership of the captain of the Lord's army when he showed up. and He said to Joshua, you follow me, and I don't want you to fear. I want you to fear not, because we're going to go into this land, and I'm going to go before you, and I'm going to fight your battles before you. And Joshua had a decision to make. Am I going to trust the word of the Lord? Here's this Old Testament, theophany, Jesus in the flesh, Jesus in the spirit. Uh, presenting himself to Joshua and he's sharing to Joshua I'm going before you and every giant in this land I'm going to conquer and you don't have to worry you don't have to fear just follow me and Joshua is faced with a decision am I trusting him or am I not trusting him and today some of you as you hear this word God is bringing you to a place of decision are you going to trust the God of the Bible are you going to trust the work of Christ on the cross through the resurrection the uh, the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit at, at work around us and in us and through us and, uh, and shining light upon the Word. Joshua 
just continually, under the leadership of the Lord, chose to faithfully follow the Lord. You know the one thing that is said negatively of Joshua in his whole life in ministry? He lived to be 110 years old. Here's what it was said of Joshua. Joshua just didn't raise up a recognized number one leader to take his place when he died. And so when you consequently get through the book of Joshua, you get to the book of what? Judges. Somebody said it to the book of Judges. And you see the Israelites that Joshua was warned and he had said, you got to choose between these two positions. you got to choose, right? You're going to serve God or you're going to serve idols. And you'll see that many of those folks began to choose idol worship again. Joshua's decision here in verse 15 meant some things that are important to us today. It means that he had to not hesitate. He couldn't hesitate in this day. I lived my first 19 years hesitating on the Lord. Hear the gospel at Vacation Bible School, hesitate. Hear the gospel in Pals and Pioneers in Awana, hesitate. Hear the gospel when I moved to Kentucky and God put a faithful friend and witness in my life, hesitate. Hesitate, hesitate, hesitate. And the Lord finally brought your pastor to a place to where it was so clearly evident sitting in a Ford Ranger that I had to decide right then, is it the Lord or is it your life of comfort and the idols that you're wanting to serve? It was a clear, clear decision. And I said, God, I do not know what to do. And in essence, he said, repent of your sins. Matter of fact, I asked Randy, who was with me, I don't know what to do. What should I do? And he didn't say, put away the idols that your father served. But listen to what Randy said. Repent of your sins. So I just started naming them, naming them, naming them. I'm sure he was exhausted. And he says, I was frustrated. And he just said, tell Jesus you want him to forgive you of all of your sins. And I said, God, all of my sins. I share that with you today because some of you have been compromising and compromising and compromising and you want to live in a life where your friends and pop culture and everybody thinks you're still hip and you're still in. Yeah, you're, you're trying to raise your kids right and you're trying to raise your kids to have a godly influence but you're not completely sold out. And so... There's just times like my parents on Friday nights or whatever it is when you guys get together with your friends that you just feel this excruciating pull of the world and you just compromise and you yield and you just compromise and you yield. For Joshua, that pull and struggle was not as great because hesitation was done. He said, I, under the Lord's grace, I am choosing to follow this Lord and there's no question about that I'm going to leave my family to do the same. Joshua's decision meant he lived above the influence of others, the wicked or evil or sinful influence of others. Joshua's decision was made openly and publicly. It was not something private and hidden. And I'm going to tell you in this, in this world in which we're living, for me to say you need to make a public decision, a public stand for Jesus, somebody would say, that's unhealthy, that's not good teaching, that's not good proclamation, that's not good preaching. After all, our walk with the Lord is a private thing. I want you to know 
Your life with the Lord is not a private thing. Your life in the Lord is a public thing, and everybody sees it. Everybody sees it. And so go ahead and, and surrender and just openly say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm not ashamed. I'm going to publicly live for you. He, through the power of the Lord, earnestly carried it out. And we see that Joshua kept it his whole life through. So what is it that God calls us to do sincerely and faithfully? We turn from sin and obey God. I just wonder before we get on to this next part, and don't raise your hand, but I wonder how many of you right now, God, through the Word and through the Holy Spirit, He's putting His finger on your heart. And He's saying, stop compromising. Maybe through the week, you, you tell your kids how much you want to live for Jesus. Man, on the weekend, you're getting all buzzed up drinking those cold Michelobes that my mom and dad drank. And then when your teenager gets in an automobile accident because he or she's been drinking or they're with the wrong crowd, you're throwing up your hands and you're scratching your head and you're spinning around saying, oh my God, why would you do that? Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Mom, Dad, you've been doing it. You can do it. I can do it. Preacher, quit meddling. I'm not meddling. I'm telling you that when you are called to a life of godliness, there's some idols that God calls us, all idols God calls us, to lay down. If you believe that and understand it, say amen. Maybe today, since this door is just kicked wide open, for, for us, a huge idol in our life has always been sports. We just always wrestle with that idol. We love sports. Our boys have always played sports, and so sports schedule has always been an idol for us. And we, we just had to make a decision. Are we going to serve the Lord? Are we going to just serve sports? Are we going to serve the Lord? Are we going to serve a ball? Are we going to serve the Lord? Are we going to serve a team? I'd say a bunch of you young families are in that place right now today, and I want to say something to you. We never regretted saying we're not serving the team, especially on Sundays. We're not serving uh, a sport. We're not serving a coach. We are serving Jesus. This door is kicked wide open, right? Somebody ought to be helping the preacher and say, preach it, preach it, preacher. It's hard and it's hard to swallow. Listen to this, folks. Listen, listen, listen to this. At what time you teach your kids that they can compromise on worship, faithfulness, and the gathering of God's people for hunting, camping, boating, sports, whatever it is, I want you to understand something. You are teaching them that God is not most important in their lives. We go on vacation, it is a non-negotiable whether we're gone one Sunday or two, we're in worship. If you say, preacher, you just go out and worship on the beach, you just go down there and look at them seashells, look at the ocean... No, I, I don't do that on Sundays. I get up, and we go to Riverbend, or we go to First Baptist. We, we get up, and we go. And you say, why is that? Because if we want to really influence our kids with generational disciple-making, the assembling of ourselves together with other covenant people, other people who have been born again, it has to be a priority. 
I know that hurts, but it is true. And, you, and I'm calling you today to lay down whatever it is that you're, that you're tempted to worship other than Jesus and to say, today I'm choosing Jesus by his grace. If you understand it, say amen. Now look at verses 16, 17, 18. We not only are called to put away idols, we're not only called to uh, affirmatively respond to the Lord, but we recall God's goodness and favor. Then the people answered, and why are they able to answer like this? Are they man, people who just know all of this right off? No, it's because Joshua is just walking them through all of this, right, in verse 23, and so it's fresh on their minds. And so the people, when Joshua says, you need to choose who you're going to serve, here's how the people answered. They recall God's goodness and favor in their life. They said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. What is it that we teach our kids to do? as we are trying to disciple them and to help them understand who God is. We turn from sin, we talk about sin with our kids, we teach them to obey the Lord, but we also recall God's goodness and favor. I want you to think about that right now. Just close your eyes for just a second. And I want you to take about 30 seconds to do that. Just close your eyes, and I want you to name as many things as you can right now of God's faithfulness and favor to you in your life. How many's got something right now? I mean, it just came to your mind right now. Just raise a hand. How many of you have thought about multiple things already? Two or three or four things of God's favor and grace in your life. Raise your hand. Let me see. How many of you would say, God has been so good to me and so favorable to me that I am overwhelmed with the grace and the goodness and the favor of the Lord? How many would just hold your hand high like that? That's exactly what the Israelites were doing. They were saying, listen, God just did everything for us. He brought us out of Egypt. He delivered us from all that slavery and that bondage. He did great signs in our sight. He preserved us all the way. He parted the Red Sea. He provided for us in the wilderness. Every time we went to a, up to a place where a people would stand against us, God delivered us from those people. And what they were saying is God was faithful over and over and over and over again. So how is it that we make disciples in our families we not only teach them to put away idols and to obey God, but we recall God's goodness and favor. Just this week, I was with one of our boys, and we were out riding, and uh, Tracy and I began to remind uh, him what happened when he was born, and we were just talking about that and just about how faithful God's been and about how good God has been and all the things that the Lord has done for us. Oh, my brothers and sisters, recall in your own mind, in your own heart, before your children, and lead them to recall all of God's goodness and favor. How many of you would say, Pastor, sometimes I feel like, man, we're, we're living in such a negative culture and such a negative time that it just seems like people are just complaining all the time. Will you raise your hand? Listen, be grateful and have your heart steeped in gratitude as you think about how faithful God has been to you. God is great. If you believe it, say amen.
And God is good. If you believe it, say amen. Relish that. Hold on to it. Recall it. Say it. Talk about it. And remind yourself and your children about God's faithfulness. I can remember uh, when we were leaving Siloam going to North Carolina and Caleb was a little guy. I said, buddy, are you nervous? Yep. Is it hurting you to leave grandma and grandpa? Yep. Um, can I encourage you with one bit of good news? He'd say, yes. And I'd say, have you met a, a lot of incredible people here? Has God really used these people at Siloam to love you and encourage you? And he'd say, yeah. We talked about different people who'd just been a tremendous blessing uh, to Caleb when he was there. And I can remember her saying to him the morning that we left, as sure as God, Caleb, has been faithful to you, he's going to continue to be faithful to you. Right? God's faithfulness is not restrained by where you live, where you work, how old you are, what gender you are, any of those things. God's grace, goodness, and favor goes with us as we follow him. If you believe it, say amen. So we recall God's goodness and favor. And then here's the third thing. Write, write this down so you don't forget it. We respond to God understanding grace and faith. And so in verses 19 through 23, right? He says to them, you are not able to serve the Lord. Here they, they uh, the Israelites respond to Joshua in the affirmative. God's been good to us. We're going to serve him. And then Joshua turns around and says, you can't serve him. You're not able to serve him for he's his holy God. He's a jealous God. And he will not forgive your transgressions or sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. If you say, will God forgive my sins? Not if you don't repent. Now listen to that again. Will God forgive my sins? Not if you don't repent. God does not forgive your sins if you don't repent. If you are an unbeliever, that means you're living your life in unbelief by choosing to live in a sinful pattern and you never repent of your sin and you die in your sin without Christ covering your sin, there is no forgiveness for that sin, right? But when you sin, if you repent and turn from your sin and you say, God, I believe that Jesus died for my sin and I want him to forgive me of my sin and I want his blood to cover my sin, to atone for my sin, to wash my sin away and I want to live for Christ. Do you know what Jesus will do? Jesus will forgive you of all of your sin. He forgives you of your past sin. He forgives you of your past sin. He forgives you of your past sin. He forgives you of your present sin. He forgives you of your present sin. Watch this. He forgives you of your future sin. All of our sin has been nailed to the cross of Christ. And as the hymn says... I thank God I bear it no more. What in the world is Joshua asking them to do? He is asking the Israelites to respond to God, understanding 
that it's by God's grace and the faith that he gives the Israelites that's going to keep them. The Israelites and Hebrews have never been saved by keeping God's law. They've been saved by believing that God is one. The Old Testament gets such a bad rap. It's just a book of law. There's no grace in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is full of God's grace. God's chosen a people. He's kept a people. He's led a people. He, he allowed that people to multiply. He kept that people until he would come in the form of Messiah and then ultimately offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins. He said to them, you cannot serve the Lord because he's holy and he's jealous and he's not going to forgive your sins if you continue in your sin. And then he says to him in verse 23, and put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. How do we do that? We do it by God's grace and we do it in a faith-generated response to the Lord. Here's how the New Testament would put it. See if this sounds familiar with what Joshua is saying, but it's in a New Testament context. Listen to Paul. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's what the Israelites were like in Egypt, right? You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now is at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, there's the idol, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, if you're thankful for but God, say amen. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. My brothers and sisters, we are saved by grace, we are kept by grace, and we will be glorified according to the grace of God. That ought to make us say hallelujah. We respond to God understanding grace and faith. We don't respond to God by saying, I got this punch list. That I've got to do. And then lastly. Verse 24 through 26. We sincerely. And faithfully follow the Lord. As we read and follow God's word. And the people said to Joshua. The Lord our God we will serve. And his voice we will obey. So this is Joshua saying to them. You can't do it. Because he's holy and he's jealous. And so he's putting the weight of this. Uh, unbelievable decision before the people and they're saying, okay, we can only respond to this holy and this God who is jealous. We can only do that as he gives us the power and strength to do that. And the people um, respond in the affirmative and the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day. It's really a 
He's reinstituting the covenant of Sinai, we see in Exodus 20. And what he does there is, it says that when he uh, made the covenant with the people that day, he put in place statues and rules for them at Shechem, and Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. I want to share with you three things. Stand to your feet so you know I'm about to wrap this up. But, but write this down. I didn't put it on the screen. Maybe I did. I think I did put it on the screen. Write these things down, will you? It is essential for us to follow the biblical pattern of reading, praying, and singing with our family day to day if we are going to make disciples of future generations. Daily Bible reading for understanding. So when, I, when I'm talking about Bible reading, I'm not talking about just a punch list to get through, but reading the Bible in, in the grand story of the Scripture, seeking to understand this redemptive story of a holy God, a sinful man, and this wonderful Savior who came to pardon us from our sin if we would only believe and put our faith in Him. So we read God's Word together with our children. We pray with our children. We pray for our children. We not only do that at mealtime or at bedtime or in the morning, but we do that all throughout the day. We read, we pray without ceasing, and we sing with our families. You say, preacher, now wait a minute. What in the world does singing have to do with making disciples and me encouraging my children to know Christ, to follow him? Are you ready? God's people are a singing people. One of the ways that we are indoctrinated, one of the ways that we come to know Christ, one of the ways that we learn God's word is through singing. So sing in your car when you got those kids. With all of our boys, but I, I'm very aware of this with Caleb just because he was the firstborn. And when I'm telling the story, I see our bedroom there in Edmonton uh, in this mobile home. And Tracy began to show, and it was very clear and evident that she was expecting. And we, uh, our hearts began to grow and get excited more and more, and all that anticipation. Would I be a good father? Would I not be a good father? The long and short of it is, I just want these boys to be faithful, right? And so I'm just thinking about that. And I would lay my head there next to her stomach, and I would just sing. I'd preach a little. I would talk. Of course, Tracy would say things like, you're so dumb. You're so stupid. This is awkward. I'm not telling you this is a part of what you got to do to indoctrinate your kids and to teach them, but I'm telling you, if you've been born again, God's put a song in your heart. And in teaching the faith to our kids, we read the Word of God for understanding and we pray with our kids and we sing and we just say, God, they are yours. They are yours. 
And just as a sidebar, I promise I won't chase it, but we should sing worship songs. Not everything that names the name of Jesus or talks about church or the Bible is a worship song, right? Some of it's meant for entertainment. But I'm talking about worshiping the Lord with your kids. If you want to know more about that, I would encourage you to buy Donald Whitney's book uh, entitled Family Worship. He really outlines this biblical principle of reading and praying and singing, and it will be a tremendous blessing to your heart, whether you're a grandma or grandpa or whether you're a new dad or mom. But today, I just wonder how many here, there's a choice for you to make today. I mean, I threw down today on some stuff, right? Hope I didn't do it in an ugly way, but you say, Preacher, why would you tell us such stuff when you know that it can make me upset and mad? Because at the end of your life, I don't want you saying, I didn't hear that. No one ever told me I should worship God and hold Him higher than anything else in my life. I want you to be able to say, man, God was faithful to me, and there was some round-looking, Elmer Fudd-looking guy, man, and he told me if I loved Jesus, I'd be there. If I loved Jesus, man, that I would keep him first. Let's pray that today. We're called to serve, but we can't serve unless Jesus is the Lord of our life and the Holy Spirit inhabits our heart and he illuminates God's word. And so today, if you know what you've heard is truth, and your heart is being convicted, that word means that God is making your conscience uneasy, and he's saying, I love you, what you've been hearing is true, and I want you to surrender from a life of compromise or of idolatry, or I want you to compromise from a, a life of, of um, indifference. And today, I want you to confess your sins and trust me, I would encourage you today to call upon the name of Jesus. The very fact that you're hearing the word of God, the very fact that God is troubling your heart, speaking to you, is the very guarantee that Jesus will save you. What happened if I can't be saved? Impossibility if Jesus is at work in you. What happened if I do something wrong? You can't do anything wrong if God is speaking to your heart and you're willing to repent and say, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. So as Belinda begins to minister on the piano, let's pray. And I want to invite you to come. Maybe some of you church leaders here, some of our church membership. This is not the initial decision of laying down the idols, but this is a decision of I don't want to compromise, I want to keep Jesus first. Maybe you need to come.